Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Mike. Where's Chuck? God damn it. He's so lazy. He's got rehearsal with these my uh, Oh, my God. Do you have to rehearse that? I don't think so, but apparently they do. <laughs> well, we have one of the greatest musicians in L.A. history. With uh, Let's ask right away. The great Paul Rosser, the Screamers, Twisted Roots. I remember the first time I saw Twisted Roots, I was like, well, of course, in love with Maggie Eric, but, but We all were. We all were. But, but um, just, just the greatest guy and just an amazing human being paul rossler let's jump right in i've been waiting for that intro my whole life we've been we <laughs> focus on sober artists really you know well which you mean, discussed that's all last you, week if you're over 50 that's all you got you die before <laughs> if you're, how many people our age are still alive they're still doing drugs i don't i don't know many i don't know any yeah, they're all dead <laughs> like and i'm thinking because i work with a lot of people and uh the guys our age they Put the plug in the jug. Yeah, point. they do. Yeah. And and what people don't know, we had Keith on here a few weeks ago. What people don't know is the music community, and especially the punk rock music community, is kind of like ground zero of where sobriety is, right? Interesting. What was interesting, you know who took me to my first AA meeting? Brendan Mullen. Really? I didn't know in Brendan 19- was sober. I don't think he was. I'm <laughs> sure he wasn't. Positive he wasn't. <laughs> In like 1983 to Fountain and Fountain and Fairfax, he was you know he was like going he was a bad drinker. He stopped drinking for pot. That's what you remember the last 30 years. But like 1983, he said, "Come on, Bobby, I'm going to take you to a meeting." And he took me to a meeting. I remember there used to be this little building behind Fountain and Fairfax's church. It burned down later on, but they used to have meetings in there. And I was just like, Don was there. There was like so many cool people. I was like what the fuck is going on? They're the ones that I idolize and become a drug addict because of, but now I got to get sober? Fuck this. Still <laughs> idolizing them. They had 10 years. <laughs> and it was, I remember like Don, I, I hate to say it, but Don was sitting in the front row with his Manson family girls and they're all the most beautiful girls. And, and Geza was doing it for Geza a while. Geza was into it. And, and I just was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, how and how quickly that turnaround was from like 77 to 83 that's not that long to go from heroin addict to sober person (laughs) yeah i put it off i put it off into the 90s (laughs) did you really yeah Yeah. oh my god you got sober earlier than that i didn't get sober till 93 oh really and what motivated you most of all 93 i have 17 years sober i was sober in 2002 2002. But did you get sober in 93 for a while? I didn't even consider the possibility. (laughs) I hated you people. I hated the cult. I hate the religiosity. (laughs) I would rather have died than be who I am now. Right. (laughs) And you know who also was very aware of 12 Step was Tomato. He knew it. Right. So people knew. And like, that's the interesting thing. I always say, and you were a part of it and you were one of the hundred of which probably 40 are dead now. But I always say the world was changed by a hundred people in Los Angeles, a hundred people in New York and a hundred people in London. The whole world was changed by 300 people. It did ripple out. What was it like to be a part of that? And for what you, let's go into the screamers history scream in your, you were in it, but you were in it. 
Like you weren't Tommy and Tomato. You were, and you and KK no, it, were. It in started it. for me before that. It started me before for me before punk rock happened when I first met Paul Beam, who later became Darby Crash in 19, right. 1975. And he had a group, Pat, and a group of those other people, and you could see this was the new breed. They were like the they were the next generation. This was the blank generation. Yeah, yeah. They and, were, were, and punk rock. As far we didn't even they were still Bowie. And you know, Queen. Yeah, yeah, yes. Pa- Pat's a big Queen fan. <laughs> big Yes fan, and and yeah. Well, so, Yes is on the germs forming. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pat was fanatical about Queen and Yes, and Darby was fanatical about Bowie, and Punk hadn't started yet. And they came to me. I was I was in the practice room practicing twelve hours a day, writing prog music, and they said we're starting a band. And I was like, no. where was this at? Your high school? Yeah, I was in high school. I'm like, no, you can't start a band. You know, because I've been working so hard. I really, I had a resentment. And um, <laughs> I go, do you play instruments? And 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 Darby's like, yeah, yeah. Pat's been learning to play guitar. And I'm like, it was so, it was so against what my ethos was. And Lorna had no idea how to play anything. I don't think they had Lorna or a drummer or anything yet. Yeah. And they had Margot. So Margot was the original. So drummer. six months later, they invited me to come see him play at the Whiskey. And they, they played with the Deadbeats. And I had, been, I had quit rock music and I was studying classical music. I was just like, all my favorite bands were bad. Everything was bad. 1976, Rick everything Wakeman was, was bad. Terrible. They had Rick all, Wakeman was doing ice skating. The Rolling Stones had gotten bad. I mean, everything was bad. And I went and I saw the Deadbeats and the Germs. And it was like, because you, you asked, what was it like? Yeah. And I was like, music has been reborn. And the Deadbeats were a prog band, really. Right. I mean, there was this debate, are they even a punk band? But they're... Uh, you listen to it now, undoubtedly a punk band. They just had weird meters and incredible musicianship. Was and Cliff Martinez the drummer of it? Who no, was the drummer? it was uh, Sean Guerin, who was the singer's brother. Uh, oh, okay. Who's passed away. He was also a sober guy. And, um, but they were like incredible musicians. And I was like, there's a place for me in this. You know, and then the germs were just performance art. Like what the germs, what happened in between the songs was as important as the songs. And in fact, if they never would have played a song, it still would have been a great show. (laughs) (laughs) And you could have never foresaw seeing the live shows that the album would sound the way it did. So like, well, the sex pistols are like that too. Mike goes into that. That's the fourth episode. He's talked about the germs like that, that the album is so different than the live band. Well, they evolved fast. It was amazingly rhythmically like super challenging and complicated. I was, I'm born in 61. So I'm a little younger than, everyone else but but i had this club called after everything else i think you played there it was in la city college across from ukrainian cultural Center, oh yeah yeah right I think so and so uh jeff and Stephen mcdonald come to me and they go we've we we've met steve jones from the sex pistols it's like a 1980 and i'm like oh and he goes we go we think we can get him to play a show and we'll play sex pistol songs and bowie songs and whatever and don was the drummer don bowl's the drummer jeff and steven and steve jones and and jeff was going to sing and so i had to get a rehearsal space for them to play and then they call me and tell me he doesn't have a guitar amp you got to get a guitar amp and at fortress on island and and selma or whatever they come to rehearse and i have chris hansen's yamaha 50 watt yamaha amp and his sg that doesn't stay in tune because sometimes the sg necks aren't right are they (laughs) bolted right steve jones comes in he's just 
out of his mind on dope. And he goes, oh, okay. And he, I give him the guitar, and I had to pay him for rehearsal. I remember he wanted $50 course, yeah. to come to the rehearsal. And yeah. I'm this 20-year-old, 19-year-old kid, like Mr. Concert from Motor Guy. Yeah. I have no idea of what I'm about to get into. He, and it always had been rumored that the Sex Pistols really couldn't play, like the Germs couldn't play, and that Chris Spedding is the guitar player on the Sex Pistols album, and it's all studio musicians, and blah, 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 blah. Dude, that guy took that, that SG that wouldn't stay in tune, that Yamaha amp, and he kept tinkering with it and tinkering with it, and then he turned to them, and that Sex Pistols way he holds his guitar down, like, below his ball sack, yeah. and he just looked <laughs> at them and goes, what song are we going to play? And they, they said, Holiday in the Sun, or whatever, and he just went, <laughs> and we just all were looking at him. Even Don, who was in the germs, was looking at me like, that's the Sex Pistols guitar player. Well, Pat, there's a reason Pat's been in Nirvana and the Foo Fighters for the last 30 years. I mean, yeah. Pat is an incredible musician, you know. He, he is. He, he, he comes out of this, you know, Yes and Queen. So he already had this very, and I think his mom was an opera singer. And I always, I'm a big believer when you have uh, music in your family, it comes a little easier. Right. But his right hand, Pat's right hand, man, he's, he's like Keith Richards, right exactly the well, pocket that's what I was gonna where say. it needs to be but, at all times. But let's study that because I was on the Bicycle Thief, my band opened for Foo Fighters for a year tour. And so I watched it all the time. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's interesting about Pat is you've got two guitar players just jamming away, making a bunch of noise. Mm -hmm. He picks his spots and you can always hear his parts. Yes. Right? That's the other thing. He writes, you write the song. He writes the part that everybody hums afterwards. It's really, it's really a bummer, actually. Do kids even know that's the guy from the Germs and yeah. like the Foo Fighters? But with like Steve Jones, I mean, you know, these guys—they're there for a reason because for each one of, for every Pat, for every Steve Jones, there was a hundred or a thousand guys that wanted to be Pat and Steve Jones and weren't quite. You know, they're—they're right. they're the real deal. Right. So you're a part of this explosion now. Let, let me just for my mind's sake how you that were a part of it see it so i believe it it's like bombs that go off a bomb goes off in new york then a bomb goes off in london then a bomb goes off in la right mm -hmm. and it exploded all over the world and i think that bomb that went off starting with the i guess according to brendan mullen who is the archivist of punk rock in los angeles the first punk rock gig in los angeles was the nerves and the germs at what is now book soup like some some weird storefront that peter case rented yeah. in 1976 and that's the big bang of Los Angeles punk rock. Is that how you see Maybe, it? I mean, because Brendan's the one that gets to write the history like, of it. Like I said, I was in I was in Paul Beam's cult in the high school, in Darby's cult. But I went off to college to study classical music, and I was gone for about six months. And when I came back, the mask was going. So I wasn't there at the the very first very thing, first you know? thing. I, I didn't. So, see but it. the bomb goes off, and yeah. really. What's interesting about Pat's journey is he goes up in that explosion into the air and he lands at the end of it, which is Nirvana Nevermind. Mm -hmm. That's when the world just gets profoundly affected by what happened in 1976 and 77. It's not till 1992, I right? Mean, you know, and not completely. It just keeps reverberating. Not completely in a good way when we say cha <laughs> change the world. I mean, it felt so 
positive to me, despite the sort of dark decadence of it all. It felt so positive because for me, it was about creativity. It was really about, wow, I thought rock music was dead and nobody would, could do anything original anymore. And I was so wrong because it's really just starting. Things can be completely reborn out of like a dead art form can just come to life. Yeah, it felt very retrospective, you know. But that's not what the explosion as the as the title but wave, it was the clothes the, it was the freedom of the girls it was so many things it was girls sure, and bands the radiation that went out is fashion and cynicism unfortunately cynicism unfortunately this postmodern cynical view of everything everybody's so cool that I, I know that was those that was the pose we were all taking, you know. So well, my favorite thing is quote <laughs> is Keith Levine's quote on tomorrow's show with Tom Snyder. I'm sure you watched it when you were punk rocker. If you remember public image, Johnny Rotten and Keith Levine that. were going to be on the Tom Snyder show, which yeah. was like being on the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. And, and they were so negative and Warner brothers records tied to GE and they killed children in Cambodia and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it was just a much, it wasn't much for me to follow. Like, this suburban middle-class kid and then tom snyder gets a little irritated and goes uh well is there anything that you guys do like (laughs) and and levine says i can't think of anything i do like i can only (laughs) think of things i don't like that was that become the became the punk rock a certain strain strain of punk rockism in 1981 pat and i the screamers had broken up and darby had died and we already knew that that was a dead end. That unrelenting... Unrest- was so good. I love you them. You have to admit their music I, was so I, good. I, I love them, and I love John Lydon. I love, I love it, but we... There's a, in literature, the movement was called the, the New Sincerity, David Foster Wallace and a lot of people. Yeah. And it was like 10 or 15 years later, but we already saw... Un, there's got to be more. It can't be. And there were there were funny, happy ba- punk bands too. And that's you're always walking the border of being really cheesy and sentimental and awful. It's this like difficult thing to walk, you know. And then what did you think? So then comes your children. I I think of Thelonious Monster as the children. Um, do you know this joke that Tomato? You know that me and Tomato were pretty close. We're closer than most men are sometimes. So, so they had a gay <laughs> relationship. Nice I'm not sure I knew that, but now I do. Anyways, he used to always call me Eve, and he's and he and I didn't know why the people the people that were such characters like Top Jimmy and Tomato and and what it sounds like Darby was I only mm-hmm. saw Darby a couple times. Dawn is mm-hmm. um, such characters that their whole life was kind of like this weird movie that was constantly going on. So Tomato's calling me Eve all the time, and I go, "What is what is that in reference to?" And he goes, "Eve Harrington. You're like Eve Harrington from All About Eve. You're studying me so you can synthesize me and become me." And uh, uh-huh. that's exactly what I was wow. doing. <laughs> He saw right I, through you. I became he? a hybrid of like Darby Crash. You and Jello and a bunch of you guys. <laughs> really just copied Tomato, <laughs> right? And so the Screamers are the one band that nobody's really seen, heard, understands. I only saw the Palace of Variety. I never saw the Screamers live. Did you see the Screamers live, Mike? I did. I actually have talked to Paul about this. I saw them a number of times, but the one that really sticks out in my mind was the, the Scaffoldings. On stage, they built at the Whiskey A Go Go, giant scaffoldings, and Tomato was in a straitjacket. That's the Palace of Variety, isn't no, it? No, no, no. And he that. had the wireless mic with the big box on it, and I think he had it taped to his hand or something. And he yeah, was in this straitjacket, hanging but upside I down. Seen, or I, no, no, climbing all Running over. Around. 
the place. On a straight jacket? And, and uh, you guys were kind of tucked because the stage was not that big and it had the scaffolding all over it. You guys were kind of tucked well, underneath. We're all, we're all stationary because there's no guitars or bass. So two keyboards, a drum. So we don't, we can't move. He's the only thing that moves. You yeah. Know? So it's very, very static other than tomato. That was I amazing. Mean, I will say I've been. Tommy in, moved though. Like he was a sure, guitar player, but we can't I, move, yeah, leave our move spot, closer, you know? Right. So, I, I mean, I've been in a lot of bands as you guys know. Uh, yes. The Screamers, every live show was about as good a live show as I've ever been in, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was I joined the band. They were already going. I was like the new kid. I could play because I've been studying. It was the best live band like ever. It was. It was, so it was just, wow. I right. would just be standing up there just looking around going, wow. What was the thought behind the Palace of Variety? Because it was five nights, wasn't it, at the Whiskey? Well, at that what point, was, the screamers what, were broken up. That's I know, but was, what was the plan? You played that show, No, though, I had nothing. I, who played piano at that? Who knows? I was Did you go to it, or that, were you mad? No. Oh, you I, mad? I, might, I might have gone to it. I can't, I can't were remember. Were you mad at Renee Dalder? Who do you think perverted <laughs> tomato? Because Renee Probably. gets a lot of ang anger towards So, her. So, we agree, like, Mike and I, who saw the band, we agree, like, wow, great band. One of the great bands, maybe, of all time. So to Renee's take was the, the Screamers are a terrible band. We got to yeah. get Tomato out of the Screamers because Tomato's the talent and Tomato's going to be an actor and we'll have some sort of, you know, different... Um, uh, but let's go back historically because there's it. so much mythology. I don't know if you know my son Elijah. He's like a Screamers... He's like A.J. Weberman of the Screamers, mm -hmm. right? His, his favorite thing and is obsessed with. So he says that... That instead of Devo, Eno wanted to sign the Screamers, and Tommy and Tomato wouldn't do it. Is that true? Don't know. I was not. I was not privy. Did they to not the, even tell you? I was you? not privy to those negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> they had me on probation for six months. They like tied me up a few times. I was like, I was eighteen, you know. They were older, and uh, how old was, was KK? Is KK were into, their age? Were you into drugs by then? Uh, you know, I was not like. Um, I smoked a lot of weed and I did a lot of hallucinogens, definitely. Right. And I would sort of take whatever. I, I was kind of counterculture guy. I didn't feel like I was at, I didn't see the addiction, addictive nature till much, much later. I don't really think I got to be a real drug addict till 93 when I got on hard drugs, you know? Because way back then, I mean, even like... Uh, uh, Let's not get into drugs yet, because <laughs> drugs are coming. As long as we have time. But for, the music, I want to talk about drugs. Don't lose track of the music. <laughs> I love talking the, about drugs. The, the music, though, because a lot of people that listen to the show are, yeah, recovering drug addicts, and they want to know how to deal with their children. or what, By the way, how, how do you deal with anonymity in this podcast? It's, it's all, well, we've already... There's a book called Getting Better by a writer from the New York Times from the 80s, where she went to Lois Wilson and she said I've had the most profound experience of my entire adult life by getting sober mm -hmm. I've I respect what got me sober but it's not 1936 anymore okay this this world the world needs a conscious understanding of this miracle that happens in people's lives. Mm -hmm. So, so, but I want to stick with the music for a second. Okay. Yes. Cause so they, so they didn't really, was KK a part of the band or was it just Tommy and Tomato? <sighs> they made the decision. Cause there's gotta be a reason why the greatest band anyone ever saw never made a fucking record. Grandiosity. What? <laughs> what? Well, I'm okay. So there's legitimate, concern that the live performance the theatricality of it and tomato's voice would not translate 
to record. But if anybody could have done it, Eno would have done it. Rap music didn't exist yet, you know? <laughs> 122! I know, 122! I, two years later, we could have said, hey, he's just like Public Enemy, and it would have been fine. But at the time, right. nobody saw the connection, and there was legitimate concern that this could never translate to radio, for sure, because that's there's no MTV either. But Devo is the band that everyone says is the one who benefited from the Screamers kind of world. Devo took a traditional rock and roll record company route. And, and I agree with you. That's a really good point you made that Eno might have been able to figure it out. But um, that was one of the concerns. The other thing was, I think Tamina might have already known he was getting sick. But right. even if he didn't know he was getting sick, it's so funny. They had so little. They honored their band so little. It was a stepping stone to something much bigger. They wanted to start a well, you know record company, a film company. Right. right. But you exactly. know what remains? The, the Gary Panther <laughs> picture yeah. of him. Yeah. It is the most iconic, other than the Circle Jerks little like uh, slam dance man. Or the bars, or the blue circle. <laughs> yeah, the, right? Yeah. That we did have the best space. graphics. Yeah, that yeah, that revolutionized graphic arts. Yeah, I mean, I remember being around that Slash World in 80, 81, 82. It was the advent of a new art, new everything. Yeah. The way that film was edited the came Simpsons? from punk rock. The Simpsons. Everything sure. comes from that yeah. explosion. And it does have a profound effect. I never thought of it as a cynicism. Um I think the cynicism existed because of the Nixon administration and nothing really changing. The cynicism was going to be there. It's more just this this stance, this super cool, edgy stance. And, and what well, I'm saying tomato, is the tomato, cool, edgy stance is great. It's just... That's the only thing that sometimes... But the screamers define that. They're the greatest band of a generation. They don't make a fucking record. How cynical are you? Is that... Maybe that's an anarchist statement. <laughs> Do you realize that there are people making money off of bootlegs and t-shirts and that image to this day? And, you know, Tommy could have a lawyer getting every one of those people and stopping and making them pay him and I've never heard of him doing yeah, it. I've right. never heard him doing it. For a while I thought, oh, he's so bitter. He just wants nothing to do with it. But I, now I prefer to think of it as uh, no property, you know. Everybody give, owns I give it. I gave it right. away, and that doesn't really sound like Tommy to me. But it's romantic to me in my nature. Well, it's so, Gary uh, Panther that do the did the drawing. Yeah, right? we paid Ga Gary a hundred bucks for that logo and owned it outright. <laughs> of course, it's <laughs> awesome. So that's anyways, the story of punk rock right there in so, one. So, but luckily, one you can go to YouTube and watch all the Screamers videos. Yeah, I think you can get the idea, kind of. You're, yeah, it's a little black and whitey grainy. Oh, There's, you get the energy of him. Like yeah. he was, the other thing about Tomato, because then I can pick it up from 82. He has this energy. It never stops. It's always a joke. There's always a movie going on. It's always on all the time. And he did this thing to me all the time because I was this little, little step and fetch it guy for a couple of years. And we'd be on the bus and he'd say, look at that. There's Aldo Ray's on the bus. Anybody that kind of looked like somebody, he would say was a celebrity. <laughs> then wherever we went, he said, Bob and I saw Aldo Ray on the bus. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I, people ask me, was I close to him? He was the him? most joyful person to be around. People ask me if I was very close to him. And I got to say, that, what you're describing, I always felt a remove. I always felt like he is on, he is performing. All the time. So I could be in a band with him and still feel... <laughs> But there was also an age difference as well. But, but Fayette knows him. 
Faye Probably. Alba's the only one that really knows Probably. him, I think. And she would tell me the real story of his life, and then he would have this made-up story, like, Mama <laughs> DePlenty used to beat me up yeah, exactly. and all this kind of stuff. And like, that's not true, Tomato. Yeah. Faye's told me her whole life. Yeah. And he'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm from East L.A. Mama Tomato, Mama DePlenty would beat me up all there, the there time. There was yeah, such was weird, weird <laughs> things in the escape. early punk scene. like Always putting you tomato, on. It's could, always a put You could on. never know Tomato's age. He was, it was a top secret. <laughs> like you never, and if he some, was in the coquettes, he was a little older than everybody and else. Then, and then Trudy and Helen were like known virgins. And it was like, who's going to be the first? <laughs> you know, like what a weird thing, right? Like I'm you, imagining you, you were the first well, you on, go the, back on to, the prior. <laughs> with Helen, no, Sid, Sid was the first. Oh, really? Yeah, Sid was first. So, oh, wow. So, yeah, there's, but isn't that like these, like, if you go back to groupies in the 60s, it's like everybody was banging everybody. But we had virgins, literal, <laughs> vir, the queens of the scene were virgins. Isn't that odd? That's odd. It kind of tells you something about the sort of innocence, because there was this. There was an innocence There was an innocence it. about it. And yeah. it was beautiful. And yeah. so, and then comes the 80s. And there was a, not, a, not a very big focus on sex and, you know, and that whole thing that drove well, society. There was well, that drove with society. Jane, with Jane and Pleasant, there was. Well. Well, you know, Darby in high no, school. I'm talking about in general, like with the '70s, how it was so focused on disco and and. and well, we weren't sure. It's like was it, we couldn't be like hippies, so maybe we're not supposed to do. You know what? I mean? We're exactly. trying to be different. We we didn't want someone to say we were a hippie. So there was we were, no free love. We didn't know, but a girl like Helen. You know, it's like you would not mess with her. She was. You ended up marrying her. I married her, <laughs> and I, sh you know, I figured it was an act. <laughs> I found out no, oh, that's who she that's is. That's real, <laughs> right? But God bless her. I mean, she's an amazing, she is amazing. strong, strong person. Been right. taking care of business for many years, yeah. right? And then, and so then the the thing that I remember is Twisted Roots, and Twisted Roots was your band. You led it. Right? I started it, but and, I mean, you know. But it was, it was unique. And there's the thing, like, now you're getting into 82 where everybody's thinking, what's going to be successful? What's going to get a record deal? What's, uh, that's where I walk in, where everybody's trying to get a record right, deal. Right, let's make some money. Right, make there. some money. And I'd already been, it had already been corrupt by 1982. I mean, I had just gotten off tour with Nina Hagen, so I'd already been touring like a rock star in Europe. You know, right. she was like on she was CBS. God. She, she was, was huge. God. And you know what? I, I never felt so uncomfortable in my life as touring in those tour buses. And I couldn't tour in the bus. I would go in the truck with the equipment. It just felt so... Because Wrong. I was coming... Yeah, because I'm just coming out of the punk scene and like all of a sudden... And there was... It's she so, didn't have a problem with it at all. No, none of them do. Because it's, it's like you said, it's... And I hate to use the word corrupting. It's not so evil, but you just, it's so hard to say no to when everybody says yes, yes, yes to you all day long. The first time someone says no, you're like, what? You're saying no to me? You know, so I don't know. It just felt really, it, I, you know, when I started Twisted Roots at the same time, um, I, someone set up an audition for me to play with missing persons. Now, there is a band that was put together to, to get a record deal. And it's very big. Exactly. Right? So you know and, Terry? Is that well, why? I just I did that audition. No, the same management as Nina. Okay. So they were looking for keyboard player. I went down. I just wanted to play with Terry Bozo. I mean, my God, one of the greatest drummers ever. Right. So we went down. They jammed. We were getting along really good. And halfway through, I was like, this is not me. Twisted Roots, I already had going. And that was really me, you know? And so who? So let's go to Twisted Roots. It's uh, Emil's the drummer. Mm -hmm. And then me. Pat, mm -hmm. you, Maggie. And there was somebody else. Who else was in? My sister. Oh, okay. Oh, my <laughs> yeah, God. Right, Kira. Kira. Pre-black. She was like a pre -black teenager. Black. How old was she 
in that? Let's see. We were. That was she must have been seventeen. Eighty-one. No, she was twenty. She was born in six. She's same age as you. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. She seems so much younger. So. So and then Don't, and then what happened? Watch your step with her too. There's a, we talked about Helen and Trudy and Pleasant and Kira. She is, you know, I like to tell one of the most amazing accomplishments she I've survived ever seen seven years do. in Black Flag. She's got to have discipline. Hey, the same time she was in Black Flag, she was a computer science business major at UCLA. At the same time, they would set up their tours to begin the day her semester ended. Oh. And they rehearsed 365 days a year. I know. Three hour rehearsals. Can you imagine? But that's not music, that's the military. It, it was. <laughs> and she was, and all those guys after practice, they would collapse Smoke and have a few bars. And, yeah, yeah. Kira was studying and graduating from UCLA. Wow. So I mean, that. Is amazing. Superhuman. Super amazing. Superhuman. And she still is. I mean, there is there is one tough... So then what girl. happened with that? Does she because that, because the first... Let's go through Twisted Roots. The first things are just like, it's the biggest deal in the world. All the biggest punk rock stars are in one band. Here we go. And then what happened? Well, um, you know... Internal so friction? I had a, what do I had they a, call it? I had a great... You know, you know, Bob, with bands, it's so much about chemistry, right? right. You put together... You could have four superstars, and it's it's just not, not going to happen. And it's then, Asia. It's called then, Asia. Exactly. <laughs> but then sometimes it works, right? Right. That one worked. But there's two aspects of chemistry. There's the chemistry that makes great music, and then there's the chemistry where people just explode and can't work together quickly. Uh, that band, six months into it... You know, it was, was Maggie difficult. I mean, because I've known Maggie my whole fair. life. She was I've eight, known her my whole life. It was hard for her to be in that spot because everybody was, was putting her in this bow wow wow kind of weird. Well, she had that look. She was 18 years old. She was immediately headlining the whiskey. Yeah. She was, you know, she had power. I mean, it's a head trip. It's a head trip. And I don't, you know. And it, Do you remember when we were all in a Raspberry Beret? I didn't go. To I didn't go to. You I don't, that, were you I don't that? think I went to that. No, I don't think I went. To, uh, or maybe that. I did. I, did. I, was I think you were the hundred and fifty bucks, Paul. You were there. Oh. <laughs> I think you were there. Right. I don't we think all I ended did up it. on stage. I know Helen was there, but um, you can see Pat in it the whole time because yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> so so there hey, it man, is. That's how we made a buck. So so how do you accept when something you love so much, a band with your sister that you have so much faith in, blows up? the band that that everyone knows is the greatest live band that anybody's ever seen blows up do you start to get discouraged how does that affect you by 83 84 yeah well i you know in in 87 i put out seven albums (laughs) i put out a dc3 album i put out a solo instrumental album i put out a, a an album with a record with mike watt I did the album with Pat, Ruth and Smear, me and Pat put out an album. There was like a bunch of records. And I kind of was holding on through 87. And then that happened and nothing, you know? Right. And Twisted Roots album where I'm, I'm singing now because every singer quits, you know? And um, so how do you... I think that um, to this day, I suffer from uh, a disappointment and, right. a, and, a, and a, um, my uh, dysthymia, it's called, a long-term depression. Yeah. You know, so I have dysthymia so, too. So people don't know about dysthymia. Yeah, I've had dysthymia for thirty years, and I think a lot of it's rooted in that. And how do you um, deal with it? Program, serious program. You know, being in the moment, doing the next right thing. But you're helping new ones. Meditation, uh, work. You know, doing which. And you know, the, the truth is, I woke up one day, two or three years ago, looked around at my life, and there was nothing wrong anywhere. 
And at that point, I could say, wow, I have nothing I can really feel sad about, and yet I feel sad. So now, therefore, that sadness is just something that's within me. Right. It is no longer situational and provoked necessarily by external things, which gives you a certain power over it. I could probably be a good candidate for antidepressants. I've, I've done them it in It won't periods. work with this time, yeah. Yeah, I don't do it. Right, I don't do it either. I just don't want to, I just don't want, like, I don't want to have to kick them is what I, you know, something comes up and I can't get them and now I'm, so anyway, I can, it's manageable. But you've been working with new artists, mm -hmm. right? And teaching them is a great gift. I've always thought that that was your salvation because I hear about all these people that are profoundly affected by working with you. They tell me, I got to work with you. He's just the most calming influence and he makes everything great. And I'm like, Paul Rossler. We're working. <laughs> you know, like that's not the guy I remember. He's kind of chaotic and opinionated. And like what, what is it that now brings this calm that you can transfer to other young people? Just because exhaustion. <laughs> I'm just like not giving a shit anymore. Why do they oh, feel okay. you're so calming, really? Well, look, so if I had a day off to do whatever I wanted, like no, no, no clients, nothing, nobody's coming over, I don't have to go somewhere, I would probably at some point in the day go into the studio, turn on the studio and make music. Right. And when I was 18 years old, the, my happiest, most joyous time, it wasn't really doing shows and going out to shows. It was borrowing somebody's four track. Right. and making home recordings. Right. That is what I love to do the most. So when I'm, I get to do what I love to do the most every day for a job. I mean, I, you gotta just remind yourself, this is the funny thing. Our dreams come true, well, we, we get what we want, and then we go, hmm. It's not enough. What if, what, there must be something wrong, because I still <laughs> feel bad. Now, if you're really sick, you'll make something wrong, right? You'll create some drama. I don't right. do that anymore, really, either. So, man, I, yeah, but I have to remind myself, I, I really love what I do. And, you know, it's not just new artists. A lot of the people that come in are people our age. Right. Who are still, they've all gone into the world. They've got jobs. They, they, but that bug, drive that to do bug something. to music never left. And so they'll come in. And, and, and that kept happening. I was like, why is this so good it's like why do i like these old guys music so much just shouldn't like i wouldn't expect anything and i realized no it really is i was like thinking do i just fall in love with whatever i work on and it's like it's i don't think it's that i think it's they coming in with all the right motives they just are the same motives we have we have something to say and going into the studio is their happy place you know that's yeah. what happened in my sobriety was I thought, I thought playing music and all the disappointment in my life because of music and all the things I lost and destroyed because of music, if I'm going to be sober, I can't play music. Because I was going to stay sober no matter what. And if it meant I don't play music, it meant I don't play music. And I was pretty much Same willing here. to sacrifice Same that, here. Right? Yep. And so, but I was writing these songs, and, and I did it for about a year, and, uh, and I was working this other job that was kind of shitty, and I remember it's just by accident I played music again. I'm driving down Sunset Boulevard, I'm working as a messenger for a movie company, and that's horrible because people that used to be in your audience, you're getting them to sign a piece of paper and they're looking at you, you can just sense like, oh my God, oh my God, here it comes. What's your name, yeah. Bob? Oh, you're the singer of Floney Sponsor. Like, yep, can you sign that? I gotta hey, get on my way. The ego <laughs> takes a pounding if you're an old punk rock star, <laughs> let me tell you. you. And I've just got the, they've got the thing I need so I can leave the building to go on to the next delivery. Know, man. And 
And so I'm driving home. I'm real discouraged one night. It's about 7.30. And for some reason, traffic was really bad. And I had to go left up to the freeway at La Brea. And the traffic was really bad. And it was backed up to the old Golden Voice building right there. Right? Mm-hmm. You remember mm-hmm. where Ricky mm-hmm. Stav's yep. office? Yep. And I looked in. Rick always hated me for many reasons. And they're all justified. <laughs> Book John Coachella, as I recall. <laughs> yeah. But that was years <laughs> later. Okay. But, but, you know, he just always felt Probably like... Probably from when he booked the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Probably going back to that. No, but it was it was Rob, and it was I got Rob to play music again, and everyone said don't do that, and I was like he'll be fine, he'll be fine. And Rick, I mean Rick was very against Rob playing music again. Rob was sober, and he was working at a store in Melrose, and I kind of did my enticing of him and he said well i'm really nervous everybody says i shouldn't play music and i was like ah what are you doing you're the greatest bass player in the world and then he got infelonious and then it went wrong and i've always felt bad and rick felt like that was a shitty thing of me to do i think it's a shitty thing that i did i didn't understand i didn't understand what sobriety was in 1986 bob what if he would not have died you would have been, it's all in hindsight. If he would not have died, you might have been giving him a huge gift of, of bringing him to well, Mike being was able in the to band do sober music. Was, did Rob have fun in Thelonious Monster? Rob was such a creator, right? Like it was just in, he loved playing music. So you did nothing wrong. You, in, in, in a, as a matter of fact, you've got him back into what he I'll loved. I'll tell you a magical moment and, he had. And, and so, drugs are very powerful. But let influence. me tell you a magical moment. You know how you played with Rob, right? Mm-hmm. He could be unconscious and his fingers would still be going. It was amazing. Yeah. So... John Fashanti was 17 years old, and everybody had heard about him, and, and I, he was going to audition for Thelonious Sponsor. And so I always got there late because I wanted people to sort things out. And then I walked in, and Rob just looked at me as soon as I walked in the room, and he had his eyebrows up, and John had been playing with them. And so I walked in, and I said, okay, I'm Bob, and it's the first time I met Fashanti, and Fashanti's this little kid, and he's all nervous. And, he, and I go, what song do you want to play? And he goes, any of them. And I was like, come on. And because and, we had by this time two albums and material. So I go, I go, any song? And we have a really hard song, one really complicated song called Positive Train. I go, can you play Positive Train? And he goes, yeah. Is that what you want to play? And I was like, okay. And then he's getting his pedal ready. And then he looks at me and goes, which part do you want me to play? And Dix was playing. And, the, and I go, I go, what do you mean? And he goes, do you want me to play the Chris Hansen part? Or, I mean, Dix is going to play his part. Uh, and I said, I, yeah, I can play the Chris Hansen part. And he plays this really complicated part, perfect, that even Chris Hansen can't play. Right, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> by the time we had the downbeat and we're in the second verse, Rob is just looking at me like, can you believe this yeah, kid? Yeah. That was a magical moment for Rob. Yeah. He could recognize somebody that's as good as him. Like, I don't think he had ever played music with somebody as good as him. I think he was the best bass player who ever played in punk rock music. He was as solid. He could, yeah. he could slow a drummer down. He could hold the beat. Because Pete was notorious. I just play with him in 45 Grave, and that music is not simple. It's not. It's not simple. It's not easy. I mean, it gets really slow and really fast. <laughs> and it's in, every song's in a diff- different key. It's, it's, Does Don speed up and slow down? You know, I don't know. I have Don for some sessions, and he's a he's a pretty, pretty solid good drummer. Yeah, I mean, he's great. Um, 
not only is he, I mean, he, I don't think he doesn't mean you're not great. Charlie Watts speeds up like I'll crazy. You, I'll tell you when, when Don's probably better is when he's been practicing, you know, because all of us, if we don't practice for a couple of years, we'll get rusty. But Don is, he knows every record that was ever recorded. He knows every drummer. He'll say, I'm going to play this a little ginger Baker. I'll play this a little, but he'll never say anybody you've ever heard of, right. but his, his knowledge and that knowledge, it leads to feel. And for a drummer, like, feel is the most important thing. So he's, uh, my experience with Sessions, he's annoying because he's too detail-oriented, but his feel and his knowledge is just really, I mean, he's the real deal, too, Don. is. But like in, his, the, ger like in the germs, you could never tell what kind of connection Pat and Don had, like, live. You would never even pick up on it. There's no, there, you there is no, you, you I just always not, felt like it's a drum heard, solo and everything else goes on around That's what it. you thought, that's what you thought. And then when you heard them on that album, G.I., it was an amazing marriage. It's obviously my favorite album of all time. The, he talks about it every podcast. The, the marriage between <laughs> Don and and Pat was was a was just amazing. Listen, there was when, no other connection. When the first single came out, and this is Nikki. This is before Don still. But yeah. when that first single came out, that just shocked everybody because the the single before was Sex Boy. I mean, the Lexicon Devils. Yes, and that the the evolution that had happened from. From the um, forming, from forming to Lexicon Devil was like, good lord, what happened? So we kind of thought maybe that this album was coming, you know? Yeah. But and Lorna just played very simple and just laid back and did not really, you know, just just. It was neat when didn't they didn't play any tricks. It was neat when they made the movie and Lorna, Don, and and Pat were on stage together again for the first time in thirty years or whatever it was, and and the yeah. kids singing. and it was like, oh my god, did you go to that? The Germs, yo, yeah, you didn't go to yeah. Passive Ride. You went to the Germs reunion with an actor singer. Come I, on now, not, Paul. It was a movie, and it wasn't planned. It was no, the, but they played. It a, was the rap they, party. Yeah, they played the rap. party. And they party. just decided to do it. Oh, um, that's amazing. I, I might have gone to Passive Ride, but it was horrible. It was, I love it. It was just garbage. <laughs> You know? Anyway, so let me tell you how I played music again. I'm looking in the driveway of Golden Voice, and Paul T's car is in the driveway. And I pulled in behind him, and I walked in, and Paul was in his office, and I said, dude, can I just work here? I know Rick hates me, but like, can you figure out? I think I'd asked a couple of times before, and it was like, oh, Rick, Not would yet. Never, Rick would never have that. Not yet, no. So then Paul goes, somebody told me that you've written a bunch of songs. And I, I go, yeah, but I mean... Just acoustic songs. And he goes, listen, if they're, if they're good like your old songs, he said, come here tomorrow about this time and play them for me. And if I like them, uh, we'll start a Golden Voice record label and we'll make a record. Wow. And I was like, and so we did. And it was Josh Klinghoffer, who's now in the Chili Peppers. He was 17 years old. And we've played in Paul's office for him just like five songs. And he goes, I'll do it. Yeah. So what do we need to do? And I go... Well, I make like $2,000 a month at the movie thing, but, uh, but I could get away with like 1500 And he goes, does the kid need money? And I go, no, he lives with his parents. He'll be fine. <laughs> oh, my God. So he gave me $1,500 a, a month to quit my job. Josh ended up getting $500 a month. I'll start with that. <laughs> but, and we started just writing songs and making a record and making demos. And how I would have never played music again if it wasn't for one of those original 100 Paul Tillet, like trusting me, like giving me an opportunity and saying, no, you need to play music. It actually goes back to somebody giving you a guitar. Right. Uh, yeah. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah, but, the, uh, you know, you guys know, like, I'm, I'm like, not, um, I don't believe in the supernatural. Right. But I do understand why people use words like miracle, because things are unexplainable. 
I mean, maybe with advanced enough science, you could somehow figure out mathematically how, these, how maybe all this is somehow, but except human brain is limited. It's like trying to teach a cat calculus. I just say it's people. <laughs> I think people in love and caring about one another. And even though I didn't love myself, I made music that made people feel something and then they had this this kind of feeling about me and it all it's all based around people right and i that's why i'm right now i think we're in a very disconnected time where people don't think they have power they don't think anything changes they think everything cynicism is rampant they think negatively and i keep telling them a hundred three hundred kids changed the world change the fucking world because they aligned with the truth of their lives and they just didn't give a fuck oh man i see i see people committed to change all over the place you know i mean the younger generation or there's the, they're the hope you know i just meant where i really in my daily life see sometimes the influence is this um hyper cool stance you right. know that's all i mean uh you know you don't I, see it in hip-hop i see it sure hip-hop one of the one of the bands hip hop couldn't exist if you listen to the history of hip hop according to Chuck D, Chuck D it's the Clash the Public yeah. Enemy was going to be this hip hop version of the Clash yeah, it's true. do you know that it was designed as that wow. because he loved the Clash I like Public Enemy so much better than the Clash <laughs> <laughs> you're just a musical elitist you can't take limited I just like him so much more I love the Sex Pistols and I love Public Enemy I love public image <laughs> what is it about the class you don't I, like i don't know i don't know is it too preachy you know it's like i like game of thrones other people don't like game of thrones it's like i like it whatever it's i'm, I don't, I'm not going to try to convince people what is the chemistry behind behind public image do you think it's jaw wobble uh love jaw wobble if you've ever been with him he refers to himself in the third person he tells him the job i'm the jaw wobble like there's another jaw wobble i was at that first public image show at the at the, the uh, civic no uh, no it, the it wasn't at the civic at the olympic yeah, I, was Were you there? There? I was there damn that was scary for hippies but that he's was... the one that lays down he's <laughs> the one that lays down this foundation for yeah. this thing man that gets built on top of it that's amazing yeah, yeah but i think levine inspiring. already had all that in his do you head. know that keith levine i heard that keith levine was the guitar tech for steve Howe yes on yesterday yes and that he taught that him tells you something and he taught him how to play guitar tells you something and, doesn't it and another thing every every musician i know knows this the original guitar riff to the thing that makes you two famous is a ripoff of public image theme, and that is I Will Follow. It's the same thing. The first time I heard it, I know, every time I hear you two, I'm like, it's just flat out ripoff of public image with somebody howling like Bruce Springsteen. Public image was definitely first, right? Yeah, for sure. 78. But but you know what I'm saying? But but you, what's different about you two is they just put Bruce Springsteen singing over top of it. Every hardcore band in the world is playing Lexicon Devil just a little bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, let's yeah. get which to is the, probably the Ramones. Let's get to the musical side of things, which of all the bands that I thought would be copied i i think that it was public image that was such a profound effect on me and chris and a, a lot of us it was just this beautiful artistic imaginative but yet primal yet rock and rollish it was just uh, metal box it, it is was, one of the greatest albums ever made. it was punk rock all over again 
like all over again because let's face it the first punk rock there was a lot of sort of garage so rock, rock <laughs> yeah. no no it wasn't that but musically the, it was fairly traditional the ramones are pretty traditional dead boys the sex are pistols are pretty traditional but it was punk rock all over again it's like and this is only two years later this another leap of look at what's possible Look at what's possible. Amazing. We were, I was definitely under public images thrall uh, when Twisted Roots was going. That was probably the biggest influence. And, yeah. and did you see the Pasadena shows before Levine I quit? I did see that, That was too. amazing. Was when they intense. did that, Blue Water, yeah, was really <laughs> Blue Water. I, I remember. The guy could sing about anything, and I'll be like, that is badass. Levine, All he's saying is Blue Water. Levine had his hair <laughs> shut, his hair like, like shaved, and he was all gaunt. And I, he was like goose-stepping across the stage. <laughs> Like, oh, like Chuck so Berry. And they were pissed because the sound was bad. It was like, oh my. It was a cement bunker. What yeah, do you think it it's going to sound cool. like? <laughs> Blue water. Well, we, we definitely sound like old people talking about a long time ago. Right. I just want to say I'm like involved in new music that's right. happening now every day. And, and oh, you guys, I see, know and, too. And, and Bob always complains about the new music and all this stuff. But I see you a complain ton. about it. Yeah, there's no <laughs> new good that's bands not and all this. Bullshit. I talk about Billie Eilish every minute of every day. Love Your Billie son Eilish. turned you Billie on. Billie Eilish. Your well, son. You got to get Yeah, yeah it's but the you greatest thing ever. You got to get my so eight year old son turned me on to something. My granddaughter turned me on. <laughs> you are saying there's no scene. I've heard you say there's no scene or anything like that. There's, there's a whole scene that these kids are like not playing music for money. They're playing music because they love it. Like there's the Meow Twins, which is Corey Stretch's daughter's band. Prissy Whip and Egrets on Earth. There's all these bands that, that you have a community. And, yeah, it's just like the and old I, days. They just like the old days. Just like the olden days. And and they come into the club and all of their people come into the club and they have a great time and they leave. And they think that for them, it has the same significance and meaning that it had for us in 1977. It does. It's That's like, what Billie Eilish does. I believe that too. Billie Eilish does. I like, well, I've well, I I seen her live. I'm telling you, she's going to be a profound, she could be a profound influence. She's already huge. Yeah, but so is Cardi B, and that's just stripper I mean, bullshit. She's, she's huge. All I'm saying is she's already an influence. She's already there, and now it's... Does just it, a matter does it of time kill for her? the machine. What she will inspire, though. What she will inspire. She's. I mean, I fear for her a little Me bit. Me too. I've I said it. I fear for her. Um, we'll, we'll, we shall see. But, you know, she's... I mean, I, there's one song of hers that to me stands head and Some shoulders. Some of it's so dark. One it's song stands head and shoulders above the rest. Um, Ocean Eyes? No, no. It's uh, The Party's Over. That's the one that kills me. That's the one that I just... I can listen to it over and over. And, some of the, and I think they're all great. But that right. one, that, that's the one where she drinks the black milkshake. Yes. It's just gorgeous. But and Let's but, talk about your album. Uh, at which one? You, did you just put out a new one? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm done doing a lot of stuff. Right. I'm in a band called uh, Jeton de Mon Quartet. What? I put out a prog record. Prog record? But that was, that was, see, that was a few years ago. And I put out a record in one month. After I did the prog record, which was seven hours 700 hours on a 47 minute song i did okay i'm just gonna write a song a day and just do them super fast yeah i heard about this i read about 612 it's called i right. did that and then i where do you get that at because i remember reading about it and then i was like where do i get well, it we only made a hundred of them and now you can just download it for free it's on okay just paul rosser 612 if you search for it you okay know. i was going through a breakup it's a breakup album right. so it was like and Love I was songs. like i was like i better document this because i hope i never feel this way again and then two, a year ago, I did uh, Galatea, which is one 
20-minute piece based on a book by Richard Powers. And that, um, I'm really proud of. And I was almost 60 when I did that. And I was, I was, and also the band with Rick Agnew and Jatan, we're all almost 60. And the idea. Yeah, that's great. I, the idea I, I got that, the single for that. Because like that doesn't happen, you know, because we get to be 60 and you're either dead or you're selling insurance or you're rich. And right. if you're rich, you might as well be dead, it seems like to me. Yep. Because um, r- the band that Rick Jatan and Deb Venom and I are doing um, is really, it's, it's like p- punk, rock, punk rock all over again. It's brand new. It's totally just, uh, just fresh, you know? So that music is coming out. I did a record with Harry Cloud, which is all instrumental, a double 12-inch 45 records. I'm just always weird. And I plan everybody's records, too. Everybody that comes in says, they all ask me to plan the record, then they all ask me to join their band. Right. And I just have to, oh, man, I, I love you Where guys. do you live, here in Santa Monica? Where do you no, live? No, I'm in, uh, I'm just five minutes uh, west of downtown. Oh, really? It's like Echo Park. How come you were over here a couple of years ago? Echo Park adjacent. Were you living over here? I was up in, I was up in Malibu, <laughs> oh, okay, for, Malibu for five years at Gaza's studio. Up oh, there, okay. Working out there. That's, I owe Gaza a lot. Gaza, we all do. Gaza gave me my chance to do what I do. He turned me loose in a Pro Tools setup in a recording studio. And it's turned out at a certain point that, um, that we've kind of gone our separate ways. Right. And one of the reasons we've gone our separate ways is when we were friends, I was always talking shit about him. I don't want, not like who I would become, you know? Right. Which is weird. It was a weird thing. I really went through like, what is my problem? Because when I'm around him, I have this negative feeling. And, and it's funny. Now I have space from him. We're not, we're not really in contact as much. And I feel warm towards him. That's so good, so yeah. our relationship is evolving. I always right. say that the punk rockers, we got just famous enough to keep us insane for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yes. I remember getting picked up in a limo from my house <laughs> and taken to the airport and touring Europe and coming back and then going back to my job, um, working on a furniture, a burned furniture store, pulling the burned carpet out. Oh, God. You know, or grating in <clears throat> Downey, you know, with a shovel and a wheelbarrow, you know. Right. And then back to Europe, you know, and be playing Conan O'Brien. And then back to, you know, it's like... It is a weird, weird roller coaster. It is. So you got you to gotta have a tough thing for it. And, and so I, I stayed sober. I think I place great emphasis on people. I know some people don't. The supernatural or the hard work that AA is, I don't think it's very hard work at all. It's pretty simple. It takes a couple weeks. It's not really something to brag about for 14 years. You have to stop doing something more than you have to actually do anything. That was, I remember that going through my mind or really early. Like really, I just have to not do something. I can not. But if you've been around it for 20 years now or 19, 17 17 years, years. you you know, it, it went from this, like everybody understanding it to this overemphasize of what hard work it is. It's it's beautiful to be around your friends and help people get sober. How hard is that? Talking to like each other. talking to each other about stuff. <laughs> like b- making things right as you as you can with people that you fucked. Man, it's under. funny. We were just talking about this at where I just came from in the meeting. And they, he said, "I can't remember anybody getting workman's comp from working the steps." You know? <laughs> and and it was like I started thinking, yeah, it's like playing the steps, taking the steps, but like working the steps. It's just like, but. 
Some people, the, the pencil was very heavy and the piece of paper is very blank and it's hard for them well, to... Well, I've been cynical about it and I have another best friend who's sober a long time and he's very, always tries to see things in a more diplomatic way. And he said, listen, to you and me, it's not that big of a deal, but to maybe to these people, it was the hardest thing they ever did in their life. Yeah. And I always, you know, that, I never think like that. I wish I could think like that more. But it just irritates me when people say it's such hard work. It's in the book. Many people that we think of wrong us are very quite possibly spiritually sick. You know, it's a good, <laughs> good quote. Like, I, I remember that was the point. I was reading this book. I was about to either throw it in the trash or uh, I was like 80 pages into it. And I was right. like, this is really garbage. But they're going to tell me how I'm going to get over resentments. And I'd see if they have some good advice here, I'm going to stay with this. Right. Thing. And that was the passage. Like, you know, it's, people are like just doing the best they can. And I was like, wow, that is true. I'm resenting all. Later, I read The Course in Miracles. You ever do that? Yeah. There's, they're like, um, don't forgive people. And I'm like, wow, for my, all these last 50 years, I'm thinking forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness. Right, right. What a beautiful thing forgiveness is. Look, if you're forgiving someone, you've already judged them that they've done something terrible yeah, and you're yeah. forgiving them for it. So just don't judge what they're doing is terrible in right. the first place and think how much time you've saved. Well, <laughs> easier said than done. Well, I, well, but I think you get caught in a, 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 a I'll give you an example. I sponsored a guy. He's about four years sober. I'm about eight years sober. He calls me one night and moved to Idaho. He says, when are we ever going to sit down and go over my good qualities? <laughs> and I was like, the fuck are you talking about? It's not in the book. <laughs> it, it actually is. is. It, it is, is in, in the in book. There, yeah. It is. So, it, and this is the quote. He reads me out of the 12 and 12. No good shopkeeper would take stock of only his bad inventory. You yep. must also make a list of all your good qualities. Glad you reminded me of that. And I was like... I, and I had even read that in a 12 and 12 book study. And I remember that piquing my curiosity, like, what the fuck is that? But since my sponsors never did that with me, no. I was like, well, whatever. And he goes, well, I mean, let's just try it. Why don't you, you've never done it. You make a list of your good qualities. I'll make a list of mine. I'll be there in three weeks. We're playing somewhere and we'll, we'll go over it. So we'll go over it. And it was the hardest thing I ever did in AA. Sitting there and looking my friend in the eye and going, you know what? Man, that would be hard very, for me. <laughs> to say that, that you're a very compassionate person, to, is that hard? It's I hard. Have, Bob, I have so many great qualities. <laughs> It'd be like, the, the only thing that would be hard is the writer's cramp. <laughs> Come on, you I understand. Have a, you have a, I understand. Like it's hard to look your friend in the eye and to say, "I I have a good sense of humor." Things are cracking up. <laughs> like, dude, don't go off on yourself like that. But really, you get down to it. Like I do have a good sense of humor. I'm easygoing. I I'm compassionate towards people, and I had to own it. It was really something I couldn't own. I could own the shame. I could own the guilt. I could own the resentment and the wanting to get rid of the resentment. But the good qualities we have, I don't think we really wholly understand them. And we can't. I I just have a difficult time understanding. Then no, you was, can't see the empathetic side of you, and you can't see the uh, forgiving side of you sometimes, you know. But Look, it, there's a trope in the rooms of people saying, I was a liar, I was a cheater, I was a thief, yeah. I was a blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I wasn't. I was a dad. I was a musician. I was dedicated. I was devoted. I love my kids. I was not any of those things. I just couldn't stop doing drugs, and it made me bad at doing those things. Right. It got in my way. I, so I know a lot of you guys... 
You are horrible people, I'm sure. But I, I, I get really sick hearing it. It's just like, it's, is it a requirement that we all go up there and shame ourselves? I know it kind of is because you know it's, it's always, this faux humility. It's always reminded me of, I know that there's not a lot of, you know, understanding of other religions, but there is this Shia religious ceremony where they flog themselves. Right. Right. And that's what it always felt like to me. I'm not a religious person. I'm kind of, a, you know, I am an atheist. I, I, which I is not like, a bad word. It just means you don't believe in a deity. Yeah. Yeah. Non-theist. I'm a non-theist. That's, that's but, what it means. But most of these people are atheists. If they Actually, when they say, "Well, my higher power is the energy," yeah, you like, know, oh, you're well, an atheist. Yeah, you're an atheist, but they hate <laughs> but that. But they word. don't like it, so because right? they're scared. They're Here's college. an interesting thing: Reagan never yeah. went to church in his fucking life. He just was homespun, homebody, spin the thing, and that whole religious thing of his was all made up by Lee Atwater, who was the campaign. Weren't they manager. consulting psychics? I mean, yes. That's <laughs> I mean, they weren't praying to Jesus. They were consulting psychics. But there's there's this this kind of deep misunderstanding of what an atheist is or what it means. And they, I always get the same question. I don't. I know that you kind of identify that. And I always get the same question. Well, what do you think happens after you die? I go. I don't fucking know. Do you? Are you? Do you know? You know what I mean? Like, like they're so convinced they know what happens after you die just because you say I follow this religion or that religion, like. Let's let I, nobody know. If you don't believe in God, how can you be a good person? <laughs> what's to, if you're not going to go to hell? Then what's to keep you from murdering? People? You know what I say? I say I think human beings are inherently good, and there's a natural goodness and a natural kind of the way that the organic the way that it works. So if I hit you, my blood pressure rises. I feel sweaty. I feel I feel. A, a high anxiety, high attention, my I'm heightened awareness. And then if I get I hit back. You, <laughs> if I hug you, I feel calm. My blood pressure feels relaxed. I feel open. I feel that, yeah. that's just as basic as I get it. That's basic. So the inherent mu human quality is to have 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 love. I believe. So I love that. Now, somehow, with a, an alcoholic or a mentally ill person. Something has gone off the rails. Right. Something has gone off the rails. And we come in and we have done self-destructive behavior that was not in our best interest, not the natural thing to do. I think it's a coping strategy. So then it's this re-education process, you know, and that, you know. Well, uh, you have to get to the thing that you're unable to cope with. You know, dysthymia is a big one. I think it's underappreciated. You can't medicate it away. By the way, for people who don't know what dysthymia is, it's chronic depression it's chronic is what it used low to be grade, right. Low-grade depression. It's not like you can't get off the couch. It's you wake up in the morning and you don't feel I think, like it's life is worth living. <laughs> I think what's, what's a lot of the literature of what is an alcoholic and Alcoholics Anonymous is dysthymia. I think Bill Wilson had it. He mistook it for this thing, abstract thing called alcoholism. Or he had uh, anxiety disorder also, possibly. Right. But you know how he finally got rid of it? If you watch the, we finally an affair, <laughs> falling in a, love, an affair, falling that Lois, in love, and parenting a, a stepson, a harem, because Lois knew he was having the affair. He finally got to have his two, two women, and he finally got some. But peace. he also raised that mistress's son. Yeah, you don't think the LSD had anything to do with maybe? Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll lift your spirits. But but you know, I just think that. I think there's, I think in my opinion, just, just going by meeting tens of thousands of drug addicts who are repulsed by the 12 step world, if, 
if the 12-step world doesn't open its heart up, it will die. It will die. And I've said this in meetings too. And, and yes, the book is offensive. Let's just say it. It's <laughs> offensive. Young people read that book and they go, oh my God. It's like something written from Jim Crow era, <laughs> yeah. which it literally is. It literally is. But that's funny. So you know what we do? We, make, make, we make fun of it. <laughs> we're supposed to be living examples of how it works. I go because I like stories. I go because um, initi I went initially because I needed to go somewhere. I go to pay back what it did for me right. and my family. Right. I did that. I also go to put on a little show and have fun and be a little performer. Yeah, which is it's fun. <laughs> You know, but I also go because I don't want it to die. And if people like us don't go in and be ourselves and show what it looks like, then like I can't think of a sort of a creepier thing that takes some desperate person who comes crawling in off the street, who's trying to overcome drugs and alcohol and say, well, you have to be superstitious now or you're going to die. Um, I tell young people all the time, and I have access right here, at, at probably four or 500 kids a year come through here, so, and Malibu, another four or 500, so I get to tell them. I say, here's what you do. Go to meetings where you come from, make sure all you and your young people friends go there, and find out when the election night is for new secretary. And bring all your friends there. Get elected. Nominate your most longest sober person yeah. and have all your friends vote for them. And then you control that and meeting. And outrage the old people. And I, get, <laughs> I guarantee you on the third meeting, the third speaker you choose that's speaking to you guys, those old people will go They'll away. Go. Yeah. They will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're doing it. <laughs> Bob, I'm so with you. And I think that's great that you're sending them out there. Yeah. because. Because uh, it's a generational thing, and it's like the, the you know the hundredth time you they, everybody holds hands and says the Lord's prayer after it says clearly that we are not affiliated with any sect denomination, <laughs> but everybody's gonna affiliate. Okay, we're gonna affiliate now, you know. Yeah. And then they look at me and like I don't want to do this. I mean, I love the Lord's prayer; it's beautiful, but you know, I really feel like it's not. It doesn't guess, have its place. Guess what? My wife is thirty-three. She mm -hmm. can't stand it. She goes to Heroin Anonymous. I, I don't know if you know about this. Did she go? There's a heroin. Yeah. There's a Heroin Anonymous, and they're having their national convention in Arizona. I can't imagine how many there are, like four or five hundred. Wait, them. we talked about that a <laughs> while ago. <laughs> now, is it, she went? She had gone before when she was in sober living, and that's the oh only meeting God. she liked. And so there's only a few. There's one in Pasadena. There's one in Claremont. There's probably one out here in Venice, Santa Monica. It is Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> but really. I but find they, syringes in my parking lot all the time. <laughs> They're out That's there. That's not but quite heroin, heroin anonymous. But for some reason, they don't. They don't. They don't have a book yet, so they don't have to do all the rituals and dogma. Neither did Bill and, and Bob. Well, they, they, had right. the, they had the. But you know what I'm saying. But something about it. It's all young people. It's all the people that can't just can't stand NA and AA. And but yet they're doing the same thing, and Let's, it works because it does Let's work. Let's call it heroin anonymous. Why not? It's but they awesome. don't have to say the prayers. They don't have to do anything. They end with silence. So I have a I have silence a, for the heroin addict who still suffers. I, I constantly try to tell people that how does this work? Like it says, God over and over again in there. It's it's doing something. So what is the psychology of faith? You know, that turning your will and your life over, you see people do that and they like walk and they have, they're not afraid and all this stuff because they think God is looking out over them. And it's like, what I tell my guys and I tell people at my meetings is like, I don't believe in that, but I want that too. Why should they be the only ones 
They get to have this release by having faith. So I want to be filled with faith also. Faith, period, which I consider a psychological state, not faith in something. Right. You know, but all this, there is this, in other words, that should, that's got to be translated because it is doing something for us. It is doing something. And I want to be able to tap into those same things. You know, I just choose love. Like I, I really believe that See, when I you used get to do that, Bob. But then I found out that my ideas about love were not mature. But yes, for sure. My problem was that. Well, no. What I try to say, I know, I know your adult children now. The way you feel towards them when they were two and three years old. I'm lucky. I have a two-year-old and an eight-year-old. Just, it's something he has young children. It's so beautiful. Like just when I, you look at him, I have grandchildren. That, yeah. That, so it's you have that even feeling. better. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. Just get the feeling and that's it. It's so good. That's awesome. I have, well, yeah, I have a three, she's going to be three named Sydney after Sid Barrett. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and she's, you know, she's now, she's potty trained, but she's not poop trained. Right. So you remember that era? Yeah. And she'll just look at me and she goes, I poop just now. <laughs> the best <laughs> bob loves talking about the poop, other the man. other the other day my grandson he had a he had a basketball he's three he's playing and he's like took a, there was a bee and he smashed <laughs> the, bee? the bee with the basketball and his dad he's kidding his dad made a video they're vegans you know he's like well, why did you kill the bee and he's like he's not in he should be in the the bush making honey and like it's, you don't you don't eat honey you know why did you do that? and then he's like dropping it on the bee again and again and he's like Whoa, fuck it does. You know, it's like, look at the guts, you know? <laughs> it's just like, that was like, I watched that video over and over. The grandson, like, smashing the bee. The vegan grandson. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, and making music's the same. If, if you can stay divorced from... If you can make business be a spiritual experience, if you do it for fun and for free and let stay out of the expectations exactly, stay out of the results and do it for the love of it, if it's possible and it's tough because you finish the recording and what's the next thing? Now you want everyone to hear it. Right. It's just, then the head trips start, then the, all the psycho, psycho crap. But I get to be in the, the creative side, you know? The creator is a very... Um, is a where does it come state. from? I, I'm obsessed with this thing. Right now, I'm going through a thing where it just comes to you. Like, it's the craziest thing. My brother-in-law died on Saturday night. I never was I'm very sorry. close with him. We had our battles. And I just picked up my guitar because I didn't know what to think. Because he's always been there. We've always kind of been this back and forth, not so great a relationship. He kind of replaced my father and our family. He's older. And... Uh, and I wrote this song just about me and him, our relationship, and about just finding out that he died. And then I was looking for a chorus, and it just came to me. And it's not a pretty chorus. It's one less hate-filled hate man. And, yeah. and I feel guilty even writing it, but that's what just came. No. And, and I played it for my wife, and she just loves it. She goes, it doesn't have to be about your brother-in-law. It's just like... This constant idea that just because someone died, it's, it's such a tragedy that dies goes it's, to heaven. I was with my oldest son when he was about 14, and my nephew had died, and, and my family kind of think that I'm an atheist, I'm going to hell, obviously, mm -hmm. and they're very devout. And so they're going on and on about how my nephew Brian is in heaven now, and he's in heaven now. He had not lived the most Christian life. He was an addict. He died of drugs. He robbed my sister of gunpoint. But now point. he's in heaven. But now he's in heaven. <laughs> so my son is only like 
14, he reaches over me and goes, oh, let me get this straight. So Brian robbed <laughs> Auntie Susan at gunpoint, and he's in heaven, and you and me are going to hell because we don't believe in God. And I just looked at him, and I said, that's pretty much it. That is actually, <laughs> all you got to do is accept Jesus in your heart, and you're saved. It's true. Yeah. But it well, does something. Great. It's still, it does something. does something. Did you read... Uh, uh, Varieties of religious experience. Yes. Bill Wilson but some of it's it. a little, a little heady for me. I, I, but I, the idea that it does something, it does something for those people. I don't think it's some supreme being doing it, pulling some kind of strings, but that ability to. Hmm, I don't know. What, what if age... Here's one, one thing. So I read the parts that I could understand, right? And so the sudden and dramatic psychic change that Bill Wilson had... I kind of had that in relation to drugs, and then I had an educational variety over a long period of time. Yeah. And a lot of my psychiatrists always used to say, well, maybe, you know, you can't give so much emphasis to one thing. So if there's so many factors, age is a factor, mm -hmm. right? So you don't have the restless energy of 35. Mm -hmm. You're now at a different place in life. Your situation. And you've been working on things to try to understand. But he's big attach, detach, right? That yeah. you want to be fully realized and the ability to attach and detach. And, and I, I said to him, so, and he praised me for getting into a pretty mature, like, uh, kind of phase. And he said, you solid, you know, stage two development. And I was like, <laughs> and I'm like... What is, what are the, wait, what, what how many what, stages, what stages are there? there? <laughs> well, I guess there's four stages to, and then fully realize self or right. The, in the stages of development, according to Frome or some, one of those right, guys, right, right, right. Rogers yeah, or something. Yeah. So, oh, so two doesn't sound so bad if there's two, only like four. Uh, yeah. But the, wait till you hear what they are. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so one is infantile stage. Right. And he goes, that is most people you meet happy when they get what they want, sad when they don't get what they want. He's a Korean guy. And uh, and he's like happy when you get what you want, sad when you get, don't get what you want, <laughs> angry, black, white. And then second stage is you know uh, adolescence where you start to understand the world and you don't always get what you want, but it's not the worst thing. And, and discerning and 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 then third stage is uh, adulthood where you're kind of still grappling with going back to infant stage and all this kind of stuff. And I said, where are you at, Roland? And he thought for a long time. He goes, stage three, four sometimes. And I go, and we're all headed where? And he goes, fully realized self. No one get there. <laughs> no one get there. And I said, well, but I mean, how many people are even fully functioning adults in America? And he goes, oh, not many. Yeah, but Maybe Bob, 3%. None of that applies to artists. <laughs> yeah. All that matters. All that matters is to, is the art. So the right. goal is to just stay We're in creators. the infantile stage and, sure. and just create. Well, I think it's more pure when isn't it pure when somebody does you wrong, they're wrong, and you're right, and black, white, and good, bad, and happy, sad. That's a pure stage, which I lived in that stage till I was about forty years old. Yeah. Right. And then getting what you want is not a bad thing, actually. No, <laughs> no uh, but it's to what ends, yes, to I what know. means you Sometimes go you don't, to get your way. You don't actually even know what you want. Like, I didn't know. I thought I wanted to be like a rock star, but I actually, I don't, you that's, feel actually, comfortable that's in actually a big hassle. You just said you didn't feel comfortable you in it. You spend your whole life traveling around. You're in airports, you're on buses, you're on hotels. You play for one hour, the same set over and over again. I will say that's a way that I've changed, and it used 
used to be that I had to be creating my music to feel that fulfillment and that satisfaction. And what I've come to realize is I just actually love making music. That's why I was a sideman in some bands and some bands I was more the creator, but I just, I just love the process of making music. And sometimes I'm just like pointing the mics at people and letting it develop and hitting record and stuff, but I still feel part of it. You know, right. it's, it's, um, I just, but I didn't know that. So that's the thing. We don't know. You have to, when a door swings open, you walk through it versus banging your head on the door that won't open, mm -hmm. you know? So right, um, right, right. that is life, ladies and gentlemen. What a great pleasure to have Paul Rossler here. Kim Robot Studios. Um, you can find me somehow on the interweb. Let's make music. But thank you so much. It's, you know, it's still alive, still rolling. Some people lost a lot of money on the pool on us. <laughs> They lost a lot of money in the death pool. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. <laughs>